If you feel that life is just giving you more than you can handle, please realize that you are not alone. Welcome to Abba Daddy House Girls Speak Out with your hosts, the founders of Abba Daddy House, Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We're here to listen and provide help for you and others. At last, you have a place to speak out and be heard. Now, here are your hosts, Annette and Myrna. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And I want to welcome back Annette. She's been gone for two weeks. Yeah. It seems like longer than that, It does, doesn't it? Yeah. So, welcome, Annette. Glad to have you back. For a minute. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For a little bit. But you're back. And we just wanted to update Bruce's condition because I know that many of you have been praying for him. And he is going to go home either today or tomorrow. Is that right? Probably tomorrow. They got more tubes today. Okay. So that's that's a good thing. That is a very good thing. And we also want to recognize Grangeville Christian Church for allowing us to use their internet and their little space here in this office. And our opinions are not necessarily their opinions. That's right. Or their opinions on the show are not necessarily theirs or ours. Yeah. But some things just come out. So we want to thank them and recognize and acknowledge them. And I want to talk to everybody about donations. Again, I haven't been here to talk about it lately, so I haven't bugged nobody. So if you guys decide you want to donate to us, even a dollar, go to Facebook, godsgirls7.com. Our website is abadaddygirls.com and voiceamerica at abadaddygirls.life. And we got buttons you can push to donate. Buttons that you can push. Huh? That sounds fun. Buttons that you can push. Yeah, it would be cool. Push a button, donate a dollar, and say, we love you. That's right. Thank you for your donations. Mm -hmm. So, last week, we began a three-part series um, where we interviewed some convicted criminals. And William was our guest last week. And if you did not hear that, we encourage you to go back to last week's, which was November 15th, I think it was, and listen to William's um, story of how he was a former deputy sheriff and that he was charged with a sex crime, um, contact with an inmate, and he went to prison, and he went to prison because he would not take a plea of a charge or an action that he did not commit. And there were times that he stood before the judge and they said, take the plea and you can go home to your family right now. But he felt that he could not do that because he could not lie. So that's what happened. And he stayed in prison for two and a half years, 14 months. months. And uh, and he's now on, on parole. So if you and now want, he's our friend. And now he's our friend. And he's, he's kind of a, in the background today So because he's a supporter of our guest. And our guest today is Joseph, who's, who is incarcerated for second-degree murder. And we, we basically have just met Joseph. So, Joseph, welcome to our show. Hello? Hello. Welcome, welcome to our to show. Our show. Hi. So, yeah, hi. Uh, first of all, I want to say thanks for having me on. No problem. And we want everyone to know that Joseph is calling from a, um, a prison in another state. And when you hear the background noise or you hear the delay in between him speaking and us speaking, that's because of the connection. And, it's, and there's, that's just the way it's going to be today. So be patient with that. Hey, Joseph, 
We appreciate you agreeing to share your story over our radio show with us today. Yeah, very yeah, no problem. And I appreciate you guys having me on. It's truly very a brave of you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So do you want, you well, want to um, start with? I guess I'll start off by saying my name is Joseph Chavez. And uh, like you had said before, I am a, an Idaho Department of Corrections inmate. I'm currently being housed in uh, Eagle Pass, Texas because of overcrowding. But um, I, uh, I've been in prison for nearly eight years now. And, um, and it's been very life-changing, to say the least. Um, and thanks for having me on. No problem. No problem. You want to start with sharing your childhood story with us? Yeah, yeah, uh, no problem. So um, when I was growing up, my, uh, my dad was in and out of prison, and so my mom had to pretty much play both roles. And uh, so the anchor of our family was my, my grandmother, um, who has now passed away. But um, we lived at her house mostly, and we were traditionally Catholic. Um, so growing up, I knew all of like the popular phrases like God is good or God works in mysterious ways, as I'm sure um, a lot of people have heard those phrases. But mm-hmm. um, I was little and I never really asked questions and we didn't have any deep conversations about God in my household. I just knew that um, there was some type of man in the sky, so to say, kind of watching over us. Right. Um, yeah. And so... Um, as I grew up, I uh, was definitely entrenched in uh, hip-hop culture. Um, I, I lived in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Koreatown is actually where, where I grew up, North Hollywood. And um, it was crazy there. There was uh, a lot of gangs, a lot of, uh, a lot of violence where I grew up. And uh, I had older brothers who were also a part of that. And I just knew that I... I saw it how how deeply it affected our family with my dad being in and out of prison and my mom having to to work multiple jobs and take care of us and not having a place of our own. I knew that you know something was missing there that it wasn't the right way to live. And um, so, but I I really I had an older brother who influenced me a lot and tried to tell me to go to college and stuff, but I was just young at the time and didn't really understand. <laughs> so, so you said and that. So, uh, you, so, Joey, you said that? that you said that you you one an older brother tried to influence you to go to college, but you also had said that some of your older brothers were also into the gang culture. Yes, yeah, they uh, they that's kind of like all they knew because where we grew up, right. it was um, sides. You know, you pick you pick sides and. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was kind of all they knew, and but they knew too also that they wanted a better life for me and my little sister. And uh, but my mother was the the big one who knew that we needed a better life, so she decided to move to Idaho. And uh, oh my when I was goodness, twelve years old. Yes, my uh, she had a childhood friend that had moved to Idaho Falls, Idaho, and uh, she came down to visit and told her um, that she would help her to uh, establish a home in Idaho Falls and that they have good work in Idaho Falls. That pays really good. And uh, so my mom was convinced and she just needed to get away, which I don't blame her. It was hard living in, 
in LA and trying to get your own home. It was really expensive, especially without that much education. And um, so we moved, and I was really sad at first, <laughs> but uh, I got used to it, and and we moved, of course, without my father, and so it was just my mother and me and my uh, my little sister, who was one year younger than me. How and, old were uh, you when you moved to Idaho? I, I was 12. I was 12 years old. Okay. And um, I was, when I first went to school in Idaho Falls, I was expecting, like, um a little backlash, you know, because when you go to school, a new school in uh, California, you know, you're not really the most popular guy. But as soon as I went to school in Idaho, uh, everybody was uh, attracted to me. They're like, oh, you're from L.A.? Like, that's so cool. Uh, we want to hang out with you and stuff. So I, uh, I quickly became popular, and I got into the skateboarding scene. And um, at first, I was really into skateboarding and then um but then the drugs came and uh that became really popular when I was around 16 and um I was still attending school going to high school and um I just started smoking marijuana and started drinking and um I never really had a father figure in my household and my mom was really overprotective of my sister but mm-hmm. for me she kind of gave me a lot more responsibility and um, and so I kind of basically did whatever I wanted to. And because of that, I became rebellious. And I uh, never blamed myself for the actions that I did and the consequences that came with it. I always blamed, you know, other things like the system or um, my dad who was never there or the people that were around me that were influencing me. And that's, I think that's what provoked me to become more rebellious. And I never was home. I was always uh, couch surfing, they say, with uh, all of my friends. And um, I never got a job, and I needed to make money, so I began selling the drugs that I was using. And that just spiraled down into a life of sin, really. I was uh, sleeping around, very promiscuous. I... uh, didn't really care about anybody else but myself. And because of that, I was distant, distant from my mom, um, my little sister as well, because we were always fighting. We could never agree on anything, so I distanced myself from her and kind of just lived by myself. And uh, I was, and I was, was really alone at the it time. It was this at age 16? I, I had to be around people all the time. <laughs> that was my security that people were to uh, like me and of course I would provide them with drugs and what have you at a good time I guess you would say and then because of that that's why I'm incarcerated I uh, when I was at a I was at a party and things got out of control and I was under the influence was that at the age of 16 No, uh, this was a little little after. I'm sorry. Uh, so I was doing that for a couple of years, actually. Okay. So, yes, I was. It started at 16, and um, I didn't really start selling drugs until I was probably about 18. Did you ever finish high school? No, I never finished high school. I actually dropped out. Okay. And was, uh, at that time, do I you would do the work. Right. And stuff, but I never attended. I always decided to ditch school and go to ditch parties. Okay. Do you, at that time, did you 
understand that the people were your friends because of what you offered them? Or did you understand, hey, they really like me because of me? No, at the time, I understood that they were my friends because they truly liked me. Okay. But as soon as all of that went away, uh, they all went away as well. So it was right. then that I understood that it was only because of what I had to offer them. Mm-hmm. And so I was 19, so it was about three years, roughly three years. I had just turned 19 um, when I had caught my charge and I was at a party and things had got out of hand and I was under the influence and I had, uh, I had, had a knife on me and I had pulled out a knife and I had used it on uh, an individual and he had died in the hospital later. And the next morning, the the cops had uh, went to where I was at and arrested me. And I immediately uh, told them that I did it and that everybody who was there that was with me should not be held responsible. And it was devastating. I, uh, I was sad. I was depressed. I was so, in, um, they had helped me in a dry cell for a week where there's no toilet, there's nothing in there. It's just a concrete slab. And I remember... Okay, so I, I I'm going to slow you... Wait clean. a minute, jo- Joey. So, yes. do, you re- do you remember stabbing the guy? Um, yes, vaguely, I do remember. So, a lot of, okay. a lot of the day, because I had started drinking early that day when I had gotten mm-hmm. off of work, and um, I don't really remember leading things that led up to it, but what had happened at that at that party was very uh, very eventful. So it was always in the back of my mind. And um, so when I was in the dry cell, I just kept dreaming that that it wasn't real, that none of that had happened, and I kept waking up and. And all I can remember is um, there was this rap song that I grew up listening to. And in the rap song, it says, the beginning, it starts off by saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And so I remember crying out, saying, forgive me, Father. I don't know what I did, and I'm sorry. And uh, But I still felt so alone. And I thought that I could never go to heaven anymore. I thought that that was it, that I had committed this sin so great that I wasn't allowed to have uh, a relationship with God or even be close to God in any sense. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop you again. So, at, you, you never took responsibility until then, when you, when you knifed the guy yeah. and he died, that's when you took responsibility for everything? Yes, yeah, so I had taken responsibility at that moment. Um, I'm, I still wanted some grace shown at the time, um, but I knew that there was none coming. And so I kind of figured that this was it. This was the end of the road. This was the end of my life, and uh, I have to accept it. I can no longer try to squirm out of it, try to make up lies to try to get out of it. I knew that what had been done was so was so great that I figured that it was the end of not just one life but two at that time. Okay. So all of the other criminal activity that you have di- that you did before this time was 
did you rationalize it and say it was okay? Or how did you deal with that? You have one minute remaining for okay. this call. We, yeah, right. I did. I did justify it in some way of saying, well, I needed to do what I needed to do to survive. Okay. And because of that, it was okay. Okay, so we um, have... This phone call, we have a minute left, so I have to call you yeah. back. Yeah, okay. we, we understand that. And we're we, going to go on break. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. Find it today. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to abadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. All right, we are back with Joseph or Joey, however we want. What do you prefer, Joey or Joseph? Uh, Joey's fine. Okay, and we want to remind our listeners that he is calling from a, uh, a prison in Texas, and so you're going to hear a delay, and you're also going to hear background noise from the prison. We can't exactly hush everybody up, so that's what we're going to do. Um, Joey was telling us that he um, had taken a ma- another man's life, and that he, they put him in a dry cell, which means there was nothing there but a cement floor and a bed, I would hope. Um, and they kept you there for a week, right? Yes. Okay. And so then what happened? Um, okay. So um, as I was there, like I said before, I uh, cried out to God. I, mm-hmm. I felt so alone. Um, I knew that what I did was, uh, was horrible and uh, maybe even irreparable. And so I just really, I needed somebody there at the time. 
and the only person, or yeah, the only person that I could call out to was God. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in, after I'd called out to him, I had still felt alone. And um, my my mother and my my brothers and my sisters they came to see me, and even though that I I distanced myself from them, on um, when I was on the outside, I uh, they supported me unconditionally. They loved me. They hired me a lawyer, um, and they were there to visit me as much as possible, which I was very thankful for. And that unconditional love was a, was a blessing that I took advantage of when I was out on the streets because, or when I was on the outside because I had just looked for myself. Right. Okay. So um, when I had finally got into the regular county jail, um, I had uh, started attending church. I felt like I needed to do something to maybe even have God look at me. So I figured, well, I was raised to, hey, if you want to do the right thing, go to church. And so I went to church a lot. And And that was from Grandma, right? Yes, that was from Grandma, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, I had heard the messages, but they didn't really resonate at the time. And it was just an opportunity mostly to, um, to escape, to get out of where I was at out of the dorm, the dorm that I was in. And, um, and of course my actions had caused a lot of people to uh, be angry with me, which was understandable. Mm-hmm. And, um, I thought, well, if anybody were to get revenge, that it would be justified, um, that I would probably do the exact same thing if, if it was the other way around. And, um, but my, my sister had wrote me a letter and told me uh, an amazing story that I didn't really realize it was God until I was later saved. But she had told me that um, because of what I did, my uh, the victim's little brother started heavily using drugs mm. and they had gotten in trouble. And when he was coming down, when he was in a jail cell, he was coming down off of the drugs. He had... Uh, told his mother that his older brother, which was the person that I had murdered, had came to him and told him to forgive me. Mm. And I was just blown away when I had heard that. I was like, why? It didn't make any sense to me. And he had forgiven me Mm. instantly. And I seen the fruits of that later because we had ended up being on the same transport list together. And um, it was a mistake that the county jail had made. And as I was sitting in the transportation room waiting to go to court, I can hear his voice. And I, and I grew up with him. I had skateboarded with him. Um, I even had stayed a night at his house before. Mm-hmm. And so I had recognized his voice and I heard his voice. And I was like, there's no way that they're going to let him in this room. And um, he had seen me through this window that was in the front of the room, and he had stopped. And he had told the officer that was escorting him that he had, couldn't go in there. And the officer was like, why? And he was like, because the person that had killed my brother's in there. And um, the officer was confused, and they immediately removed me from the situation and took me to the, the bus. 
and it put me into the bus, or the van, I should say. And, um, well, there is a divider in the back of the van, and they had, we had both had to go to court. And so they put him on the other side of the divider. And um, they had put the girls in the front, in the front of the van. And uh, the girls were talking to him, this individual, and um, asking him if he was okay, if his mom had recovered fully from what had happened, because they knew what had happened. Mm-hmm. And um, he was staying strong, and he had every opportunity to um, to to lash out on me, but he didn't. And uh, and as we were coming back from court, um, they had shackled us all up, and they had pulled him out first, and then they had pulled me out. And I walked uh, right behind him as I was leaving, and I told him that I that I'm sorry and that I love him, mm-hmm. and that if I could, I would take it back. And um, and he just turned around and looked at me and said, "It's all right, it's okay." Wow. And then I and then I proceeded to go to myself. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. that was just God. Now that I look back, you don't usually realize when God is working until after the situation. Then you look back mm-hmm. and then you know, oh, well, that, that was God. That was grace. Right. Um, right. It was grace. One, now one I'm of very the th- thankful for it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you said in your testimony that you had, that we received, was that your family was too important to you to choose the ordinary prison life. So what do you mean by ordinary prison life? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? I, I'm mm-hmm. having trouble hearing you. Okay. You stated that your family was too important to you to choose the ordinary prison life. So could you describe to our listeners what the ordinary prison life is like, what you were saying in that? Yes, so I had seen I had seen uh, the unconditional love from my family, and they just wanted me to do what was right and to uh, try to get out and to be good. And that was the least I could do, the very least I could do to um, show them that I loved them back. And so all throughout county and uh, even my experience in prison, there is a lot of uh, evil things that happen here, and it, it's just the way that it is. And um, I had... I knew in my heart of hearts that 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 wasn't the life for me. Um, and with the victims, my victims' family forgiving me because the mother, because of the son had forgiven me, the mother had eventually forgiven me as well. And um, when I went to my final sentencing, the the judge had asked me what I wanted to say, and um, I just addressed her directly and told her that I was sorry and that I loved her and that um, and that I trust God that I trust that God has her son and that he is looking down on her and as I was leaving the courtroom she had told me that she had loved me and that was caught as well as I looked back all these many blessings and, and um, hands, extended hands of forgiveness and so because of all of that was happening I uh, I knew that I I owed it to them, to my family, but also to their family, to uh, do the right thing and, and not to be involved with the evil things that happened in prison. Mm-hmm. What do you mean it's, by it's you? Hard. It's really, it's really hard at first because people look, will look down on you. People will call you scared, um, afraid, 
they will see it as weakness. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean by you believe? And Joseph. to uh, not only share the gospel, but to show the gospel. Right. Joseph, what do you mean by you believe you got what you deserve? I'm sorry, what was that? What do you mean by you believe you got what you deserve? Would you explain that to everybody? That you got what I, you deserve? I cannot hear you. The part where you say you believe you got what you deserve? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so um, my my belief my belief system at that time, um, my justice was that I should be locked away forever. My idea of justice, and so when all of these things were happening to me, like it was blowing me away. I didn't understand it. I didn't know why, um, and I was just kind of taking it in stride and, and thanking God at the time. But I still I still had a lot of self condemnation. I still think, I still at that time thought that I deserved uh, way worse than what was happening to me. And, um, and it wasn't until that I, I, uh, I had chose to do the right thing and I chose to, um, I didn't know who God was personally at the time, especially not Jesus. I, I hadn't really heard any messages about Jesus. And, but I knew that God, God was kind of calling me towards that side. And because of that, I had gone through some trouble with the uh, the gangs in the prison, and I had got transferred to a different prison where there wasn't as many gangs. And um, I didn't want to be there at first. I hated it, and I wanted to go back. But it was a huge blessing because I met many, many men of faith, men who believed in God, and not only believed in God, but... Um, knew why, which I, I never had asked that question. And, um, knew why? And what do you mean? In the barbershop, like why they had faith in, in okay. Jesus and why Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Okay. And, um, I remember, I remember this specifically, I was in the barbershop and like I had told you before, my family is traditionally Catholic and I was in the barbershop and there was this man that was in there that had studied the Bible every day and I had seen him study the Bible every day. And, um, as I was waiting to get my haircut in this new prison that I was at, I, uh, I was so urged to ask him a question about Catholicism and, um, he was he was kind of uh, thrown back at my question a little bit because it was a little forward. <laughs> but he had answered it to the best of his ability. And I told him, I'd asked him if he could show me in the Bible where, it, uh, where he, if he can prove it to me in the Bible. And he did. And uh, from then on, I started doing studies with this man every day. I just wanted to know um, why Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and why and how can uh, God forgive me if I have done such horrible things? And I began to read about the love of God. I began to see in these stories in the Bible how God used many people that um, you would look, you would look at from a human standpoint and say God can't use that person. And reading those stories gave me hope. And I remember I'd asked Jesus to come into my life. And this was in 2014. 
And so I was doing a lot you, of Bible studies. How long had you been in prison? What's that? By, how long had you been in prison when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Uh, I would say I got tr- truly saved and understood the meaning in, in probably January or February of 2014. Okay. And when were you? So how long had you been in there? When were you sentenced? I've been in since 2012, or the end of 2011, the beginning of 2012. Okay. So about two years of being in prison. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It, it took two years to finally actually open the Bible and to, to study God's Word. When you first got arrested, were you, were you afraid? Did it frighten you to go to prison? Yes, I was uh, terrified. <laughs> to say the least, I was very terrified. Uh, like I said before, I thought that my life was over mm-hmm. and that there was no longer any hope for me. Not not just um, in, from a heaven perspective, but also from an earthly perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. So on your I salvation... Yeah. On your salvation story, can you share just a little bit of that with us? What was that? Your salvation story. Can you share that with us? Yes, yes. And so, um, like I said before, I was uh, doing Bible studies with this, mm-hmm. this individual. And, um, but God had used this individual in my life to not only encourage me, but edify me and to, to study the Scripture word for word. And I've never had any comprehensive studies of the Scriptures before. But God has shown this man so much knowledge and so much light. And uh, I believe that's why he had urged me to ask that question, because then the whole story will unfold. And um, just hearing the message of grace and how Jesus um, took all of our sin on the cross was uh, wild. I've never heard anything like that before. And he did it because he loved us. And the justice that uh, God wants is for us to turn to Christ. And I remember, <laughs> I remember I was choked up and uh, I was, I couldn't believe it. And he had told me, this individual said, well, do you know what the gospel means, right? It means good news, too good to be true and believe it. And so I did, I believed it and I called Jesus into my life. And um, from then on, I just had a, a hunger and a burning and desire to, to know his word and to know that I can have a relationship with the living God despite what I have done mm-hmm. uh, was a beautiful, most beautiful message I've ever heard. And our Bible studies grew, and that is where I met Will, who, when he had gotten incarcerated, he had seen us doing these Bible studies, and we would come with our Bibles and our commentaries and all of our books, and uh, he was inspired as well to, to join us, and that is where I met Will. And God began to not only transform, um, but he also started giving us opportunities to share the gospel. Uh, we had uh, went into general population, and we had entered into a dog program. And the program there was, uh, the foundation was very shaky. There was a lot of, um, a lot of jealousy and envy, and God had used 
uh, four, I would say four individuals, uh, me, uh, Will, and including I and two other individuals that we would do Bible studies with. He had used us to kind of transform that program and to show a different perspective and to, to come together that was the most important part. And the correlation between uh, between training dogs and uh, and the gospel, there's, there's a big correlation within that. Mm-hmm. Within that uh, program, and we were just opening inmates' eyes to see that that correlation, right? Of how you, love comes first, then obedience. Because if right. the dog can, if the dog trusts you and loves you, he's going to obey you, and uh, that's kind of like us when when we when we know our Lord and Savior and we trust Him, then the obedience comes in after. Right. Absolutely, and Joseph. Do you do you realize that you you were imprisoned before you knew Christ, so you were really locked up and in prison. And now, because you know Christ, you're truly free. Even though you're locked up, still you're free. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Bars don't have to hold you, have you in. One minute remaining for this call. Uh, absolutely, do realize that, and it's a blessing. And I'm very thankful. Well, we're going to go to break now and we'll talk. Hook up with Joseph after he ta- yeah. calls back. Yeah. So we're going to go okay. to break now and talk to you later. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. Find it today. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-888-888. 
1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to abadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. All righty, we are back, and, and Joey is back, calling us back for the last time to join our show. Welcome back, Joey, and welcome back, listeners. We were talking about how, after Joey accepted Christ, how he is actually free. He may be in prison, but he is free. Because it ain't really bars that hold that's us That's right. It's not. So, Joey, are you able to, how much are you able to witness to others? What is your ministry there in the prison? Um, I'm sorry, repeat it again. Okay. How, what is your ministry there in prison? Okay, so um, my ministry was working through the dog program to not okay. only um, show how, or not only share the gospel, but to show the gospel, right, through the correlation mm-hmm. between the dogs. But also right. I had started my own, where well, we had started our own uh, Bible study, uh, non-denomination Christian group, and to see um, to see it multiply over the weeks, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And um, I also had gotten a job at the chapel, and just any time that I could share the gospel, um, I would. But not only uh, tell the message, but be the message. And uh, and I started learning how to play music and started worshiping. Uh, Will was a big part of that. He had um, he had pulled it out of me. I used to be uh, so nervous and so scared to uh, perform or to uh, to worship, and um, he would just kind of just throw me in the midst of the fire, really. <laughs> He'd be like, he would give a message, and then he would say, okay, now uh, Joey's going to come up and uh, do a little worship song, like unbeknownst to me, but <laughs> it was uh, it was awesome. And then um, because I grew up in the hip-hop culture, Oh, at a very young age, I learned how to uh, put words together and uh, make it sound good. And so um, him and another individual had uh, always pushed me, had this, uh, always stirred that gift within me to um, use it for God's glory and for God's purposes and to draw people, maybe a different generation, um, who really isn't into the type of traditional uh, Christian music or maybe not even to contemporary Christian music, but... Uh, yeah, to uh, to reach a newer generation, and um, mm-hmm. I didn't really want to do it, <laughs> but uh, God, you know, He has a funny way of working sometimes. And uh, yes, He does. So, yeah. do you write your do you write your own music? Yes. And yes. So <laughs> that wasn't very. Was, uh, that very, wasn't a very strong very, um, yes. Yeah, and I was very very uh, comfortable where I was at and uh, God has a funny way of doing those things too to, uh, yeah, so that does. you grow spiritually and uh-huh. he had removed me from that place and he had sent me here, Texas and mm-hmm. um, I hated it. I was very mad. Um, I didn't want to come. Um, I didn't understand why God was sending me here and uh, it was a struggle at first here and this place isn't is it, the structure isn't built for a uh, prison. It's built for more of like a county jail or a detention mm-hmm. center. Mm-hmm. And all the negativity that I was around and just, it was hard. It was really hard. And it was uh, easier to conform to what was going on around me. And um, 
and I thought that if I had left where I was at, that I would be better, that, uh, that I wouldn't, um, be so sucked into what was going around. And, um, God had answered a prayer and it kind of removed me from that situation. But I always think of Job, like when yeah. Job was going through what he was going through, mm-hmm. a lot of things that, uh, that he had hidden in his, in his inner man had came to surface mm-hmm. and he was questioning God. Right. And, um, God didn't, God had used what was happening to him to kind of have that bubble up mm-hmm. and to have him realize it and to give glory to God, whatever that may be, self-righteousness or just any uh, type of sin that you're holding on to. God will use the situation around you to bring that to light. Because right. sometimes you get so accustomed to things, you don't, you don't realize that you have those certain things in you. And uh, right. I think that's why Paul tells the, tells the church to have every man examine himself, see if he is in the faith. And um, I was missing that key part in my life. And, uh, and instead of embracing it, I wanted to be removed from it. And so I was removed from it, but it didn't, it didn't deal with the underlining, underlining issue of uh, how my faith was wavering and how I was really mad at God for sending me here. And, um, and because of that, I was struggling, struggling a lot. And God had placed me back to where I was at and told me, really, that my work is here in this place. And I was really upset at first. I'm like, I don't want to be here, God. Like, this place is evil. It's, this place is not meant for me. But that's exactly why I need to be here. Uh, I need to be light. I need to... Uh, I need to continue the ministry that I had with uh, my brothers when I was in the other prison. Yep. It's kind of like you remind me of a Timothy. Was that? You remind me of a. You remind me of a Timothy, where you know Paul sent Timothy. You know God, Paul and Timothy, William and some of the other people, older men that were strong in their faith, taught you, and then you were sent out to teach others. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? I, I'm having yeah, a hard you're time like, hearing you. Yeah, you're a, a Timothy. Like um, Paul, you know, mentored Timothy in the New Testament. Yes. And then and then Timothy was sent out. And God wouldn't have sent you yes. out unless you were ready to be sent out. So that's how yes, I see you absolutely. as, Timothy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I was here fighting with God, telling God that I wasn't ready. Yeah, but God, how'd that work for you? Yep, he knows everything, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. So how'd that work for you fighting with God? <laughs> it 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 um, only brought a lot of uh, more condemnation. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> kind of self self pity, really. Yeah. A lot of self pity, like oh, woe is me and why, but um, but then I go to the scriptures. Where it says, uh, you know, Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for yep. for those that love God and are called according to His purposes. Mm-hmm. And um, this is His purpose. This is His plan. That's There's right. nothing that that takes God by surprise. And um, and He has sent me here to to do a work, and I have to trust yes, he did. trust in Him and, and obedience, and not just see it right. as merely obedience, 
but opportunity. You know, one thing that I've, I read just two or three weeks ago, and it talks about sacrifice or obedience um, is, is not what it's all about. What you're doing is you are investing in the kingdom. And that's what, you're, well, that's what I see you doing, investing in God's kingdom to further that kingdom where you're from. Yeah, amen. Mm-hmm. And so when I want to complain, I, or I want to... Go ahead. This pruning that's uh, taking place or uh, yes. the discipline is because I'm a child of God and he that's loves right. me and, it's, and yep. he's training me so that it can produce a, uh, produce a, a harvest of righteousness. Right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That way you'll be ready when you do come out. Yes. And so uh, my sentence was uh, 30 years. I got right. 10 and 20. And I've, I've uh, been locked up for nearly, I've been in prison, incarcerated for nearly eight years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see parole in two more years, June 2021. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. That's what I was going to ask, June 20. Okay. But uh, I, I, I trust God. I'm... I just have faith in him. Uh, he's going to put, he's going to put us each and every one of us wherever uh, he needs us to be. That's right. From what I understand from William, that um, the victim's family have, have said that they would come and testify for you at the parole hearing. Is that correct? Um, well, so I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? At, at your parole hearing, that the victim's family will come and come and speak for you instead of against you? Oh, um, yes, yes. That is uh, his, my mom, my mother still talks to um, his mother and uh, their friends. And, uh, mm. and yeah, my, my mom has told me that when she uh, goes to my uh, parole hearing, that there will be no ill will towards me. Mm. Now that's a God thing, isn't it? It is. It's a blessing. And it just it is. me up thinking about it now. Right. So, and like I said before, the main question was why did I deserve it? But I don't. And that's, and that's the key. That's the gospel right. is we don't deserve it, but God loves us so much that he gives it to us. Right. So do you have anything that you would like to tell the world in, in the last couple of minutes? Anything at all that you would like to tell people? Yes. Um, for anybody who's listening, and I believe God put me here today because somebody needed to hear hear my testimony, um, but also a word of encouragement um, where in your life you think that God cannot use you or there's just certain areas in your life that you that it's easier to believe that you cannot accomplish something than to believe that God can raise the dead to life. Mm-hmm. And so we, we become comfortable with that. Um, but God's knocking. God is knocking in those areas in our life, um, and he wants to come in. So he says, I, I knock at the door in Revelation. Mm-hmm. And um, if he prepares the table for us, in the presence of our enemies, mm-hmm. he still he still wants to use us. Right. And in those areas in our life where we think that he cannot use us, that's where he's going to use us the most. When right. we are weak, he is strong. And I just want to encourage people out there um, to to pray 
and to, to never give up, to uh, ask God to come into those areas in your life where you think that there is no hope or there is no life because God is a God that brings things back from the dead, from life. And I just encourage people to let God ignite your hearts again and to, uh, to revive what it is that you think that God can't use because he That's is a right. God of the impossible. He is a That's God right. of life. Okay. Thank you, Joey. Thank you for being with us. We truly appreciate that. Thank you so much. We want to read. Yes? Um, God, I feel like God wants me to uh, share a little something that, that I wrote, or I should okay. say that we wrote, because I'm sure the Holy Spirit <laughs> wrote it. Um, and it's in the form of, form of poetry. And, uh, okay. But the message is the gospel message, and uh, God's putting it on my heart to share it. So okay. is it okay if you I share two it? two minutes. Mm-hmm. Two minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. It won't take that long. Ready? A pale face, no emotion in my face. Looking in that hollowed mirror, was a ghost before you came? Was it something prearranged, predestined to the grave? What is a man if man can only was only meant to be a simple slave? But I, I prayed for life but was living in the flesh. The simple passions that arose only bored us through to death, and I, I was in bondage, trying to look beyond the false horizon, telling myself, to be honest, I was lying, and I was dying, walking with a list, a list of regulations, demonstrating ways I should live, but my soul was parched for any righteousness, scarce breath out my lips on the verge of callousness and reprobation, and I was facing evil in the land of hatred, scared of desolation, and was seeking approbation from the Lord. Then it got warm, what hot chills upon my skin, felt the weight of my sin, my whole body body caving in, so I cried out for the mercy of my Father, I'm no longer thirsty, a free gift of that lifetime living water, hallelujah, hallelujah, as the stones cry out for the flesh of the perfect lamb, I watched the sacrifice bleed out, body was worn and torn as he bled upon the cross, him who knew no sin became sin and made us righteous at the cost of his life, now we're his bride, bought with a price, now we're justified and sanctified, all because of Christ. Amen. That was awesome. That was it. And with that, we close the show. Our third, and thank you for listeners, and thank you, Joey. Bye-bye. Thank you, Joey. That was great. Thanks, Joey. Awesome. Love you, too. Love you. Thank you for being here this week. Be sure to join hosts Annette Smith and Myrna Thatcher for another edition of Abadaddy Girls Speak Out next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy the upcoming weekend.